Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring podcast network. All boxing, no filter. And Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Friday, December 28th, and this is the Fistionados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. This will be the year-end review episode, and we have a lot to go over from the past two weeks. Then I'll take a look at what each broadcasting entity has cost consumers and exactly what you've gotten for your money. I'll give them a grade, but I'd love to hear from all of you on this subject. Just in terms of cadence after that, um, I'll follow up with a shorter episode. There's really not going to be much boxing over the next two weeks. Uh, So I'll do a shorter episode maybe next weekend or maybe early in the week on January 7th, probably next weekend. Um, But that one will just be taking a look at the storylines to keep an eye on uh, for 2019. I've got like six or seven that I've already thought of. I'm just going to go over them, you know, sort of quickly, but but just what I'm excited about and, and, and what are some big ones to look for because I've gone over a lot of this stuff this year. We've done some deep dives. There's a lot of updating to do on some of this stuff. And there's a lot of big things that, that have happened that we have only really touched on. Anyways, that's for that episode. Um, let's just go right into the re- review over the last two weeks. On Friday, December 14th, we had Gilberto Ramirez winning a majority decision over Jesse Hart on ESPN+. Plus. So no viewership numbers. There were close scorecards here. It was a close fight and kind of like an okay to decent TV fight to watch. Um, And here's where we are for Ramirez. He said after the fight he's moving up to 175 pounds. I don't blame him. Because unless he's going to start unifying at 168, I don't know what else there is for him. He's not developed into a TV ratings attraction where you know he's guaranteed to give you good ratings. He's a good fighter with a great backstory, but he just doesn't make TV-friendly fights. Nor does he get a fan base excited that you'd think would be there for him. And I mean, it's not just that he's Mexican, you know, that he's from Mexico. I mean, he's from Sinaloa. And and. None of that really seems to matter, which you'd think it would, uh, but when you go past the surface, it doesn't. 
And it just goes to show you that there's a lot more to marketing a fighter by simply saying, oh, he's Mexican and he's a champ. The fans will be there for him. They'll love him. You know, I think he needs to unify – he either needs to unify at 168 in basically his next fight and then move up. Maybe you give him one or two unification fights at 168 um, or he just needs to go straight to 175. Top Rank has some big possible fights for him there and – what I th- here's with Ramirez. I think his style might actually lend itself to really good fights if he's up against the right opponent. There's a lot more talent at 175, and maybe he could make himself a bigger name there. I mean, he has the skill level to the point where I would make him a favorite against someone like Bosdick or Alvarez or Kovalev. But I would say he's a live dog in all those fights, especially if we see him. You know, maybe maybe his first fights had a less with a lesser guy at 175, and if we see him look good there, I would definitely make him a live dog. I mean, moving on to Hart, you really have to feel bad for Jesse Hart. Uh, there is a bright side here. He lost to Zerto twice. This one was competitive, and especially if Zerto moves up, then Hart has a chance to get a title at this weight class. And he's a pretty, like, he's not a bad fighter. He's a pretty good fighter. He's not great, but he just started training as his full-time job for fighting. And you saw a massive improvement between his first fight with Zerto and his second fight. Um, You know, maybe he didn't have the right style for Zerto. This weight class isn't super deep. I think he can come back and win a belt and hopefully carve out a really nice career for himself there. Okay, on Saturday... December 15th, we had DeZone's first major fight with the following results. Canelo Alvarez wins by KO3 over Rocky Fielding. Tevin Farmer wins by wide unanimous decision over Francisco Fonseca. Saddam Ali beats Mauricio Herrera by wide unanimous decision. And Ryan Garcia wins by KO5 over Braulio Rodriguez. Katie Taylor also wins on the card. Let's break it down, starting with the undercards. I turned on the fight at 5 p.m. Pacific time, and Katie Taylor was still on there with a few rounds to go, which was a bad sign for the timing of things. I'll get to all that later. Um, Ryan Garcia looked great. I mean, he had a pretty scintillating win, but, you know, all that momentum, and, and even just in terms of his career, he looked good. Like, it looks like the training camp move will have benefited him greatly. Um, but just in terms of the overall night for DAZN, the momentum you had from him winning got slowed down by the next two fights that went the distance, and, and they really weren't terribly competitive. You know, Saddam Ali's gr- uh, win was great for him. I do, I, you know, I came out of that feeling actually worse for Mauricio Herrera because there was a moment in his career that he had a pretty solid edge to what he was doing. Like, he gave really tough guys a lot of trouble. And whatever that whatever that thing that he had, he's lost it. I mean, he's the type of guy who, if a few things would have gone his way, he'd have earned significantly more money over the course of his career. And I'm not just talking about the Danny Garcia fight. You know, Herrera had a few fights out there where had he come out on top, he would have either gotten a belt or a big purse for his next fight. You know, I don't want to pause too long in this, but we, we do see this a lot in the sport. I mean, you saw with Ray Beltran this year, that the, there's a few others, like, these are guys that are pretty freaking good. I mean, they're not elite, but they're pretty freaking good. And every time they got to that point where had they won, their next payday would have been probably multiples of what they've been earning. Like, 
they just they couldn't get it done. They lost. Um, it sucks because it's like that's you know I look at a lot of this through the lens of fighters' finances and how much they get paid, and I always want to see guys like this who are talented and and maybe have maximized their athleticism or maybe have taken a longer road to get there, but do have the abilities to, to make some big fights and, and make good fights in the ring. And they just don't get that major payday. I mean, that, that, it makes a big difference in terms of quality of life down the line. Um, anyways, Ali rebounds. You know, I think he might have some sort of case to make at 147, but that's a really deep weight class. Uh, I'm really not sure about him fighting the best at that weight class, and I'm not sure what DAZN is doing at that weight class. You know, the PBC and top rank pretty much have every relevant guy there for my money. Um, I love Tevin Farmer. I love watching him fight. You do have to be prepared for that kind of style. I'm not sure it was the best thing as a co-main. And that really brings us to why it was the co-main, and let's talk about David Lemieux and Toriano Johnson for a second here. What David Lemieux did was completely unprofessional. And listeners of this show will have heard this before. I've talked about it with Scott Quigg and Danny O'Connor. There is a right way to miss weight, and then there are many wrong ways. The right way is you communicate very early on in the process that this is going to be tough for you to make. There might have to be some other possible options like a catch weight or a portion of the purse that gets paid to the other fighter. If there are belts or mandatory shots involved too, like you got to deal with those issues. But David Lemieux didn't do that. I mean, and he's also historically not been the greatest on this subject matter either. I mean, he's missed weight or fought at catch weights. I mean, I, to be honest, I can't remember specifically if he actually missed weight, but I know he's had to fight at a couple catch weights. And for those out there who've ever worked or been involved with one of his fights, you know that even when he makes weight, the dude weighs 160 pounds for maybe like. 20 or 30 minutes. Like, that's it. Like, he is not built to make 160. For guys like that who are just making weight, like, by razor-thin margins every time, all it takes is just one factor to be off, and you're going to miss. Like, maybe it's an injury during training camp that needs, like, a week or so of rehab, so you miss some cardio. Maybe it's an undisciplined like eating between camps or drinking or something like that. You know, I don't know. I'm not accusing him of any of this. I'm just saying, like, it, like maybe it's just your body telling you that it's time to move up. Like, you can't stay at 160 pounds anymore. I get why Lemieux wants to stay at 160. I mean, if he moves up, there's some interesting fights for him. But most of them come at fractions of what he'd get paid to fight. Canelo, Triple G, Jacobs, or, I mean, even if, like, I'm not saying he would go to the PBC, but even Charlo. And, I mean, heck, he might even get paid more to fight Rob Brandt if ESPN really needed him. Like, those paydays are all probably bigger than any payday that's out for him at, you know, that's there for him at 168 pounds. Like, you know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's one, maybe there's two, but that's it. Like 160 pounds is really where the money is. I get why he wants to stay, to stay there. And look, I've said this before, like I've had to make weight as a wrestler in both high school and college. You know, not as a professional, like clearly not. Like I wasn't like, not that you can wrestle professionally in that way. I guess you can if you're elite, but I wasn't nearly that good. Um, making weight sucks. And in boxing, there can be real repercussions if you do it wrong because you're punching each other in the face and brain injuries are probably more likely to happen if you're dehydrated. 
but there's ripple effects from missing weight. For David Lemieux, like, he's probably never going to get a major fight again at middleweight, or at least not anytime soon. Like, he's going to have to prove he can make weight, like, several fights in a row before he even gets another shot at a big fight. I mean, how could you depend on him making weight for a big event after this? Like, especially when there's so many other great fighters at the weight class. You just can't do it. And for these big events, they put millions of dollars into marketing them. You can't have your main event miss weight. Like, you just can't have it. You've got to trust that guy. So there's no way. There's no way you put him against, in against Canelo if you're in his zone. You can't risk that. So he misses out on a major payday. He probably has to just move up, and I don't know what DAZN is going to do at 168 pounds. So I don't know what's there for him. I mean, we'll see. But I think this—I think that's it for him at middleweight. If you're Turiano Johnson, and this is like kind of tragic. I mean, it, like tragic might be the wrong word, but he just did a whole training camp for nothing, and he's had a lot of bad breaks in his career. Like this was a potentially life-changing opportunity. Had he won, and he wasn't that, he he was an underdog, but not a crazy underdog. And had he won, like, I don't think he would have gotten Canelo, but he could have counted on a really big payday for a top matchup next. And now, I mean, he might get another chance, but this was one of the more winnable big-name fights for him. I mean, stylistically, you know, David Lemieux is is a fighter where, you know, yes, he brings great power, but if you're disciplined when you fight him, I mean, you know... He, He's not incredibly difficult to beat if you fight a really disciplined style. So this is a winnable fight for him. Um, it just sucks. I mean, it's the biggest opportunity in his career so far, and he's had a couple bad breaks. And I want, you know, he's talented, and you'd like to see him get his opportunity. Um, okay, on to other parts of the broadcast, because this was Design's first big one. The announcing team has been an issue for lots of people, and I think I'm at the point now where I can say that Sugar Ray Leonard just doesn't add a whole lot to the broadcast, and I think that's being generous. Uh, I'll get more into this in another episode, but I'd like to see more of Chris Mannix. I'd like to see more of Sergio Mora. Brian Kenny, I think, is is pretty good. Uh, I know they're experimenting over at zone. They should keep experimenting, but we do need to see – we need to start seeing a more refined product. Um, and certainly I, I wrote a freaking article about it. Like the next six months are key for them by that May 4th date. They should have a more refined idea of exactly what's happening with their announcing. Um, okay. The pacing of the event, we've got to see improvement here. The main event started after 1145 PM Eastern, which is just too late. Like we aren't in a world anymore. We're we're sitting there waiting for late pay-per-view buys to come in. Like it's not hitting the mark and we got to wait an extra 15 minutes for some last second pay-per-view buys because the pay-per-view industry has conditioned everybody to only think that the main event matters. It's the stupidest thing of all time. I've gone over it many, many times. Uh, but anyways, like that's no longer an issue. It's really just not like I knew it would be a problem when I turned on the show at 5 p.m. and Katie Taylor was still fighting. The pacing didn't improve that much as the night went on, though, and that's why the main event started late. The whole point of being a streaming service where you aren't waiting for pay-per-view buys or commercials is that you want the consumer viewing experience to be as great as possible, which means no waiting time in between bouts, no pointless time that you're killing. Like, Remember how awkward the Triple G Canelo 2 fight was where there was like 
an, you know, well over an hour to kill in between, you know, the last undercard and, and, and the main after that KO1, you know, you just, you shouldn't have this in the streaming world. I did think the commercials were integrated really well. Uh, that's actually something I'll talk about in the future because DAZN has said they'd be doing uh, commercials publicly. They said it a few weeks ago. I've not really gotten into it on the show uh, yet. Um, I talked about it on ESPN Plus a little bit early on, but like this is like a thing. Like this is how these people are going to make money. Like the, you know, I think with limited commercial breaks. I think it's okay as a consumer. I don't mind it, especially if it keeps the monthly price down. I don't really mind it. Um, but I'll talk about it more in the future. And I think they were integrated you know, pretty well. Um, so, and, and the other thing I'll say about the pacing, DAZN, they did not do it well for this one. But if you did watch the Bellator fights, uh, the ones that aren't co-broadcasted on Paramount Network they are actually they have a they have a great system down for that and they move it along really really well like the, that night moved really fast the one that that DAZN had exclusively so i do expect this to improve naturally uh as time goes on for DAZN social media okay DAZN had highlights up within minutes of the result of the main event and i love that like they're under no illusions here that boxing fans and sports fans in general like you know Everybody, they want their pound of flesh. As soon as the fight's over, get the highlights out there. I love that. Kudos to them on it. Own it. Get it out there. Get your name out there. Make it be a destination. Make people understand this didn't happen on HBO pay-per-view or Showtime pay-per-view. This happened on DAZN. There's nothing precious here about this content once it's over, for me at least, and I think for most people too. Um, you know, HBO and Showtime, they always have the replay of the fight the following week to deal with, where it's like some of this stuff is a little bit more delicate. DAZN doesn't have that. You know, keep doing what you're doing here. Uh, one more thing to talk about here in the advertising to the buildup of the fight. I wasn't a huge fan of their promotional campaign. They ran a bunch of these buffer Canelo ads that I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast saw at some point because they did a pretty considerable buy for it. As like as a brand, if it was me, I try to define myself less on what I'm against and much more about what I'm for from a positive standpoint. There was no boxing highlights in these ads at all. And I think the message, at least in a major ad buy like that, should have been that this is your new destination for boxing in a positive way. And you can use much more subtle and nuanced places to make that anti-pay-per-view argument, uh, which I'm sure their media relations team has done you know, pretty well with. Like You saw a lot of these articles come out. But in terms of like a quick 30-second message that consumers are going to hear over and over, I'm a, more of a fan of you make it positive than you make it negative. And it, it, that's that's no for me. I'm sure there's going to be changes to come here because their brand campaign soon, you know, they didn't have a brand before this. And now they're going to have Major League Baseball and all that kind of stuff coming. So we'll see a, a little bit more variety of messages here. Um, and then... Before we move on to this past Saturday, uh, the last Saturday was the 22nd, one more note. Dave Meltzer. Meltzer's uh, numbers and comments here. Dave Meltzer is a completely legit 
journalist who covers WWE wrestling, all kinds of combat sports in general. He is respected tremendously, and I want to emphasize that here. Apparently on his radio show, he came out and said DAZN did a terrible number for the Canelo fight in terms of subscriptions. DAZN's policy on this is that they won't release numbers to anyone ever. Uh, I interviewed Joseph Markowski for the Part 2 streaming services article I did for The Ring. He made that clear to me. Um, Other people in the media relations team there have made it clear to me that that's their policy. I don't expect that to ever change. I know a lot of people who work uh, for Netflix, former colleagues of mine, at HBO now work for Netflix for Amazon. Like they won't get. That's just the policy there. You sign major NDAs. They won't give out any of that information. Um, I don't know where Meltzer got that info from, but his major sources for this, I would imagine, based on his background, are pay-per-view industry people from cable or satellite companies. I mean, he's generally regarded as the gold standard for reporting pay-per-view numbers, especially for the WWE. And if he got that info from those sources then all I'm going to say here is just take that with a huge grain of salt because the pay-per-view industry people, obviously, I mean, we just went over what the brand campaign was for DAZN going into this fight. The pay-per-view industry people are going to have a major agenda in rooting for DAZN to fail. Uh, And I don't know where they would get that type of information from. I mean, we don't know where he got it from. It's just going to be something fun to watch because – Sub numbers are going to be a huge thing here. We're not going to get them from DAZN. Don't overanalyze this for now. We're going to have to extrapolate a lot of information from other, you know, weird places to come. That's something that I'll talk about sort of, I mean, that's clearly going to be one of the things that I'm looking at for next year, like a couple of different things with DAZN. We'll talk about that next episode, though. Okay, on Saturday, December 22nd, we had more boxing than I can ever remember seeing this late in December. I think it sums up the boxing industry more than anything else right now. It's a global sport with two huge financial centers in the U.S. and in the U.K., lots of other hotspots that produce high-quality fighters. I'm just going to list all the results here, then I'm going to break everything down. Let's start with ESPN Plus, televising the Frank Warren UK card from Manchester, where there are quite a few good fights, actually. In the main event, Josh Warrington wins by unanimous decision over Carl Frampton in a really good fight. Also on the card, Hassan Endam with a majority decision over Martin Murray, Michael Conlon with a win, and then what turned out, I ended up watching the Liam Williams-Mark Heffron fight. It turned out to be a really you know nice performance for Liam Williams. On Showtime, and also from the UK, this time in London, uh, in Sky Sports pay-per-view, we had Dillian White beating Derek Chisora by KO11 in a really good fight. I actually thought it was the best fight of the weekend for me. It was my favorite one. Uh, There was lots of drama. It was a great stylistic matchup. And then you had the power element that finally came through towards the end. At the time of the stoppage, I think the scorecards, I think two of them still had Chisora up, like 96-95, maybe the other one was for White. Um, they're all really close, though, which is the the overall the bigger point. And that was even accounting for Chisora having two point deductions where you can make an argument that neither point should have been deducted. I mean, certainly you can make an argument that the second point deduction wasn't necessary. Um, anyways, great fight. Like, really great fight. And then finally, the PBC makes its debut as part of the landmark deal to put 
the PBC officially on Fox and to put boxing back on network TV in a meaningful way that's not a time buy, you know, really for the first time in decades. I mean, we've had one-offs, but this is really the first meaningful deal in decades that wasn't a time buy. Uh, Jamal Charlo beats Matt Korobov by unanimous decision in a pretty good fight. Tony Harrison upsets Jamel Charlo by close unanimous decision in a fight that we'll get to. And then Dominic Brazil's KO win over Carlos Negron. And what also, to be fair, was a pretty good TV fight. So let's break all this stuff down. Let's go back to the to the beginning here. The ESPN Plus card was really good. Ended up, for me, being a little reminder as why you would subscribe to ESPN Plus. Like, had there been no other fight cards over the weekend, I would have been totally satisfied with this card. I mean, in the main event, Warrington made it a really fun fight from the get-go. He deserved the win over Frampton, in my opinion. All credit to Warrington here. He's someone that it, most industry insiders thought had the talent level only to end up as a top-level opponent, but, like, never an A-list guy. This dude kind of has my attention. Like, after, you know, he kind of had it after the Selby fight. He definitely has it now. There's no question I'm tuning into his fights from here on out. It's, I'll say that. I will also say it's impossible not to mention his limitations when you're talking about him. You know, I think for right now, he's a great story. He's clearly going to make some great fights. Let's see how far he can take this. I mean, let's see what happens when he gets Oscar Valdez. Like, that should be a relatively easy fight to make. Valdez is obviously the top rank. Warrington with Frank Warren, you know, they have the relationship with top rank. Um, I think, you know, you kind of have to give Valdez a comeback fight after the injuries he sustained in that Scott Quigg fight back in March. But so, you know, I bet you both fighters will probably take a comeback. Uh, You know, Warrington will take an, an interim fight. But I would look for them to take a fight together, you know, this summer or fall. Um, the Endon Murray fight was pretty good. I think it gives, like, in a weird way, it gives ESPN the small chip in the middleweight free agent battle. And I'm not suggesting that Endom is going to be attractive to someone like Jacobs or Triple G in this. But he's now the WBC silver champ for whatever that means. I mean, Canelo obviously has the WBC belt, the one that matters. And as pointless as the silver belt is in a lot of ways um and and the wbc at least if you look at what's happened at like light heavyweight like they don't really enforce that kind of stuff the top contender status or anything like that but i would put nothing past bob aram and frank warren concocting a way to use this at least to force something uncomfortable for canelo at the zone um okay on to the onto the uh, White Chisora fight. The biggest shock leading up to this fight was that it, in the U.S. it was televised by Showtime instead of DAZN. It turns out that while Hearn has a partnership with DAZN for his U.S. distribution, it's only guaranteed that his Sky Sports non-pay-per-view fights go straight to DAZN. For his pay-per-view fights in the U.K., they don't automatically go to the to DAZN. And this is significant because there are obviously cards, you know, that here in the U.S., those pay-per-view fights are going to be the ones that we're more interested uh, in here in the United States. So Showtime sneaks in at the 11th hour. They grab the broadcasting rights here, and there's a few things to extrapolate from this. First of all, not a good sign for Hearn at DAZN. Um, You know, (laughs) next episode, I guess this is actually going to be one of the storylines that I'm going to talk about here because... What is happening with Eddie Hearn at DAZN? Let's just ask that question now. 
I'll, I'll talk about it in much more detail next episode. It's something I'm really looking forward to see in 2019. Um, it, it's clearly a major question that's going on there. Um, let's just leave it there for now. I think to be fair, you could also have looked at this as Showtime just had a few extra dollars lying around in their budget and they made an aggressive bid to televise the show. That does make total sense. Um, I've been the one saying it all along. It was risky to put Wilder on pay-per-view. And one of the scenarios out there is Espinosa may have had to hold a little money back in case that was a complete dud financially. It obviously wasn't a huge financial success, but it did make money. And so if there's any money they need to hold back, he could have used that to bid on this fight. You know, another scenario is just that there was extra money in Showtime's programming budget that came from somewhere else. Like maybe a series got shifted around and some 2018 money got freed up. That stuff, that happens all the time at HBO. and I'm guessing at Showtime, too. I don't know. I didn't work at Showtime, obviously. But at any company whose budgets cover the calendar year, that stuff happens. I mean, I'll even give you a specific example. When I was at HBO, the Tim Bradley-Diego Chavez fight that happened in December, I mean, that that happened because series stuff got shifted around and there was this extra money lying around. And HBO bought the fight and it got marketed pretty heavily because there was marketing money put aside for the series stuff. And it... And, that's how you got that fight as a consumer. I mean, not, not, I'm not saying that's like the gold standard of fights or anything, but that was a pretty good fight. Um, there was another incident. I, I won't even get into that one. There was like a late night. There, there's been, trust me, this stuff happens more often than you think. That's, that's what I'll say. Um, budgets are year over year. Whenever resources get shifted, at the end, there's always going to be stuff Sometimes that doesn't get the marketing or programming attention it deserves, and there's me other stuff that all of a sudden it's like, hey, we got to spend this money. Uh, you know, you can't just have it lying around. the The, the budget money doesn't uh, move to the next year. It's kind of tough to do that. It's 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 a weird thing to explain, but it stuff happens all the time. Either way, Showtime gets the fight. I think a significant thing here. There's like this weird olive branch that gets extended to Eddie Hearn. Small as it may be, it could end up being extremely significant. I mean, if we're here, if this is the end of 2019 and we're talking like a year from now, we're talking about Anthony Joshua Wilder on pay-per-view in the United States or some kind of split broadcasting arrangement with Showtime and DAZN, like we may look back on this olive branch as being the first step in actually creating like a real dialogue that, that makes sense for both parties, you know. Or it's just a flash in the pan and no one cares. Um, but I will I will mention this. Like it's not crazy to say that. Okay, going back to the actual White Chisora fight, the actual fight was awesome. Wasn't the most technical fight. You could see that both fighters had learned a few things from the first fight. Chisora really understood what he had to do, you know, to achieve victory here. Um, he was on his way to doing that, in my opinion. And you know, despite those crazy point deductions. And White lands flush with that left hook. I mean, you could kind of tell he'd been looking for that punch, and he was very patient throughout the fight. And in terms of what happens next, White clearly wants AJ again, and I think he's earned the shot, in my opinion. I mean, that doesn't mean he's going to get it. But April 13th now looms incredibly large for what Anthony Joshua decides to do. I've gone on record saying I think it's a mistake for him to do anything other than Fury or Wilder next. You'll probably, with Fury making the most sense, um, I don't want to go too deep into this right now. It looks like AJ is going to come to the U.S. to fight Jarrell Miller or he'll fight White again. 
so, you know, look, if, if that's it for White, good. I mean, I hope White gets a really big fight somewhere along the way. There are plenty of scenarios where he doesn't, though. And, and, and for someone like him, I, I think he deserves a big fight. Like, he, like he's, he really showed himself. You know, he looked great here. It was fun to watch. Okay, finally getting to the PBC Fox show. This show does an average of 1.97 million viewers, peaking at 2.42 million during the main event. It does 1.86 million viewers in the 9 to 10 p.m. hour. It does about 1.5 in the first hour, 8 to 9. It does a 0.5 rating. I don't normally don't talk about ratings, but I'm just going to give the whole context of the whole night here, um, just since this is the first one. NBC won the night with a rerun of Dateline that had a 0.6 rating and 3.54 million viewers. ABC ran a country music Christmas special rerun coming in third with a 0.4 rating and 2.59 million viewers. CBS finished fourth with a rerun of NCIS that did 2.8 million viewers and a 0.3 rating. The fights run at 8 p.m., which I'm sure many East Coasters loved. Um, but that also put them up against the NFL, which kind of blew everything out of the water here. Uh, towards the end of the season, the NFL does those Saturday night uh, games. So this is a mixed bag of results here. And I think there's going to be plenty of ammo for PBC lovers and haters. On the plus side for PBC, this is more viewers than pay cable. Like, yes, that argument is true. Like, that has worked out for them. It is the second biggest total audience for boxing this year. That's significant. Also on the plus side, the fights were pretty good TV fights considering the matchups. I mean, like, you could have gone into this. It could have totally gone the other way. Like, uh, these could have ended up being stinkers. They weren't. They are pretty good matchups. Um, these fights did better than, I think, than any Fox UFC car did in 2018. And they certainly did way better than any of the time buys that PBC was doing for Fox in the previous few years. Yep, marketing matters, folks. You get some of that on-air marketing, get some of those those ads that came on Fox, it really matters. Like, that makes a big difference. Um, some other context here, though. Fox's Saturday night Major League Baseball over the summer, which is not typically a great viewing time period, averages over 3 million viewers for, for most games. And some games, I think, significantly more than that. To be successful, the PBC is going to have to get closer to that. You know, if you're a PBC hater and you want to shred them, you know, when Fox puts on a card like this against all network reruns, like, you have to win the night, pure and simple. You can't let reruns beat you. No matter how cost-effective boxing is compared to other sports, reruns are the most cost-effective thing that exists. Like, I'm stating the obvious. So you've got to beat a Dateline rerun on NBC. So despite finishing second overall in terms of rating, they were last in total viewers among networks, which, I mean, there's a couple ways to look at that. Like one, I don't think Fox cares about that because essentially they're probably really a bunch of old people that, you know, advertisers don't care about watching the other networks, which is why you finished second in the ratings, but last in total viewership. Um... But, I mean, it's just significant to note, like, when, you, when you're when you the one place that puts on live programming, you shouldn't finish last in total viewers. You should, like, win the night in terms of the demos that matter, and they didn't do that. Um, so, in terms of the sport of boxing, great performance. Need to do a little bit better. 
in terms of the overall viewing experience for Fox, um, you know, Fox is, is probably, this is probably a decent start. Like it's okay. And remember also on the positive note, like, like, and I guess this is really where I come down. Like this is, it's a decent start. It's okay. It's not great. It's not terrible. Uh, and I think once Fox can integrate sort of like the, their attempt at doing crossover audiences better, um, I think it can improve. Like, remember, this is episode one on a relatively crappy date with, it did have some solid promo behind it, but no attempt at crossing over the WWE or the MLB audience, which I think Fox has a pretty good chance of succeeding in crossing over those audiences, by the way, both ways. Like, you you know, boxing audiences can probably cross over to the WWE as well. Um, you know, so unfortunately for anyone looking for a hot take here, I don't really have one. I'm kind of down the middle. To the PVC folks claiming this is like the biggest success ever, like you've got to slow your roll. And to the haters, like stop it. This is not a terrible rating. Like there's positive signs coming out of this. Like it's not super positive, but it's 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 like an okay start. All right, um, more on this later. It's obviously something that's we're going to talk about in 2019. So in actual terms of the fight action, everybody was talking about the Tony Harrison win over Jamel Charlo. I thought that fight was a good one to make. You know, in the in the preview section here, um, you know, I talked about it with Michael Woods on his podcast too. Like, it, it was actually a decent fight, and then whether or not you agreed with the decision, I think it's fair to concede that it was a close fight. I mean, I didn't score the fight while I watched it, but I will say that I didn't agree with the way the commentators were talking about it and their narrative for the fight. Like, they were, their narrative was essentially it was being dominated by Charlo. I did not agree with that at all. Um, I will say when the scores were announced, I was expecting them to say Charlo won. But there were enough swing rounds that I wasn't shocked to hear Harrison's name at all announced as the winner. Um, you know, and like I said, I wasn't scoring the fight when I watched. If I do that, I need to have total focus on it. And I just, I don't have that for every fight, especially when that's like the seventh or eighth fight I'm watching that day or in a two-day span. Um, you know, and, and if I do watch the fights, just for clarification, for me, if I watch the fights not live, then I turn off social media and I, and I make sure I don't know the result uh, when I do watch them. Um, so in terms of what this means, I'm not actually sure it means a whole lot because Jared Hurd is the champ at 154. He's got two belts. He's got the best resume right now. He's made it pretty clear that he wants to take one, if not two interim fights before unifying, you know, which obviously previously was thought to be with Charlo. So now Charlo likely gets a rematch that I'm sure will be on Showtime or Fox, you know, in a headliner against Harrison and in the grand scheme of things, this is probably good because it prevents a complete walkover interim fight for Charlo, and hopefully we see that unification fight between Hurd and then whoever wins the rematch in late summer or early fall of 2019. All right, Jamal Charlo, his win over Korvev. Uh, this was a good TV-friendly fight that was much closer than that one terrible scorecard had it, um, and I think it ends up being a lot more about Korobov than Charlo, at least for me. Charlo, I mean, he gets a really good win against someone who wasn't tested per se, but had an incredibly impressive amateur career and pedigree. And I mean, honestly, in terms of pure talent, Matt Korobov might, he might be Charlo's best opponent in terms of pure talent. I mean, clearly Austin Trout is a much more accomplished pro um, than Korobov, but they're probably close in terms of just pure talent level. 
Um, and I think they're the two best in terms of who Charlo has fought. And, you know, Julian Williams and Hugo Centeno Jr. are probably just one notch below. But after those four, I mean, it's really just a lot of people that only either core boxing fans or maybe not even core boxing fans have ever heard of. Um, so, look, credit with Charlo uh, with a really good win in a tough fight. Korobov, I mean, this is a spirited effort and a loss. He becomes a, an opponent in a division where being an opponent is a really high-paying job, and it gives you some great opportunities. I mean, I don't know what his promotional or network situation is, but I guarantee you he'll be given another opportunity. And good for him. I mean, he can finally put that Andy Lee loss behind him. It's sort of the way it happened. Like, it's not really that he lost Andy Lee. It's the way it happened. He could put that behind him, um, and and he will likely get paid. I mean, he's coming to the – you know, he's an older guy now who – is is dis- I'm sure disappointed with the way his career has gone, but he's still very talented, and this is a good showing. Like, I hope he gets like three or four. You know, he still has time to get three or four sort of higher profile fights, and hopefully, this is the catalyst for that. I don't have a whole lot to say about the Brazil KO over Carlos Negron. It ended up just sort of being a decent, not a great TV fight, but it's it's great for Brazil. I mean, he's basically like off for a full year, and then he gets some rounds in, and finally gets a KO. Um, you know, he obviously wants that Wilder fight. And and that's possible for him. So let's see how that goes. All right. Enough of all the action in the last two weeks. Let's go into the deep dive. This is going to cover the end of the year rating for consumer value. And what I'm going to do here, I'm going to give you the cost of every broadcasting entity, how I came up with that cost, and then the fights you got and some analysis um, of it all. And then I'm just going to give you, I'm, uh, I'm going to give a grade. And to be clear on that, I'm only grading fights. I'm not grading shoulder programming or any other programming. I don't care about the 30 for 30s on ESPN plus. I don't care about the sports docs on HBO or Showtime. Um, I will list, I will not list all the undercard fights for each night of fights. I'm just going to give like either with fighters of note or maybe a notable fight that happened. But something just to get, maybe even a notable fight, good or bad, but something just to give you an idea of the type of fights that were that were offered. Um, so let's start with Showtime. I'm going to go with $15 a month for Showtime. I know there are some add-on packages for both Showtime and HBO where it's less. And I'm sure the average consumer pays somewhere around 12 bucks a month for HBO and for Showtime. Uh, but I pay 15 bucks a month for Showtime, and you pay 15 on the streaming option. We're going to go with that. I will just say as a note, if you do pay 12 bucks a month for it, that's $144 a year. 15 bucks is $180 a year. If you bought the one Showtime pay-per-view, which was Wilder Fury, it was $75. So if you bought that, you paid somewhere between $219 and $255 for your Showtime boxing this year. And here are the fights you got for that price. You got Spence Peterson, Danny Garcia, Brandon Rios, and that had a couple undercards like Benavidez, Gavriel, Ugas. You got Wilder Ortiz, which had Darrell Uzgateki on it. Garcia Lipinets, AJ versus Parker, Lara versus Hurd, and that had Truax versus DeGale on the undercard. Broner Vargas, which had Jermel Charlo or Jamal Charlo against Centeno Jr., and then Javante Davis versus Jesus Cuellar on the undercard. Stevenson Jack with Russell Jr. versus Diaz as, the, as sort of the co-main, whatever you want to call it. Santa Cruz Mares 2, and that had Jermel Charlo against Austin Trout. Spence Ocampo, Mikey Garcia versus Robert Easter.
Danny Garcia versus Sean Porter, Stevenson Vazdik, and then Wilder Fury pay-per-view, and White Chisora 2. So that's 15 total cards. Showtime had 11 full fights, one pay-per-view, like 11 full fight cards, I'll say. One pay-per-view fight card, and then three foreign fights that were one-card shows. And what I loved about Showtime is out of any broadcaster, they put on the deepest cards in terms of name fighters and competitive fights, and it wasn't really that close. They also had the best quality control. If you looked at gambling odds, which I, I give at towards the end of each episode, like they didn't have too many cards where the odds were outrageous and it had a huge amount of cards, you know, like they had a ton of cards where the odds were really close, like they were really competitive. And both fighters had pathways to victory. So it just, it meant for a really interesting night of fights. And this is usually from the undercard all the way through the main event. In fact, just going off the list here, I mean, Spence Ocampo, that was the only one in terms of main events that was a completely cynical mismatch. I mean, I didn't love Danny Garcia versus Bam Bam Rios, but... Yeah, Spence Ocampo was the only one that was kind of like a waste of my time, and that only lasted a round, so I guess it wasn't really a waste of time. They had Wilder Ortiz and Lara Hurd, which have got to be on everyone's shortlist for fight of the year. You know, the foreign one-off cards were big. Like, A.J. Parker, at the time, was a huge event. I mean, Joseph Parker now, were you know, people are a little bit down on, but like at the time, he had a belt. Now, I mean, it was a unifying moment for A.J., and it was a big worldwide event. Like the Stevenson Bosdick and White Jasora too, like those were also really strong fights. Like they were fun to watch. The pay-per-view fight, which was a huge risk and could have been a stinker in the ring, actually turned out to be an incredibly exciting in the ring, and it didn't lose them any money. The first six months of the year that they put on were probably the best six months that any broadcaster has had in the last ten or fifteen years. Um, and those are, look, those are the positives. If we're going to dock them some points, like here's the detractors, 11 full fight cards is basically one a month. And I'd like to get a little bit more for that. I don't need what HBO was doing six or seven years ago where there were like 18 or 20 full fight cards, but I would like more than 11. You almost have to look at, at each show that Showtime puts on as like its own $15 pay-per-view. And like maybe when you add in the four and one offs, it's like 12 or 13 bucks, but you kind of get my point here. Um, I'll gladly pay that for the better fight cards that they had. But, like, you look at some of the ones that weren't great. Like, in February, if my only fight card was Danny Garcia's comeback fight against Bam Bam Rios, or in the fall where we didn't even get fights in October or November, I mean, that's kind of a rough stretch. Uh, another detractor, and this is a smaller one because I know they have lots of fighters, is we need to see better strategy with their best guys. Like Errol Spence, how is it acceptable that we didn't see him in against one of their best welterweights this year? We saw him in January in a decent matchup, and then like a one-round bullshit mandatory fight against Ocampo in June. If we get that June fight, then I want to see him. It's not even I want. I, we've got to see him again. We've got to see him in the fall. Like I'll take him three times against good competition or twice against elite competition, but I didn't get either. I got him two times, one with terrible well, – I don't want to knock Ocampo that much. He was the mandatory, um, and he, he, you know, he did get in there. But, like, one against mediocre at best competition, which you shouldn't be seeing on Showtime, and one against decent. I mean, like, you know, 
Lamont Peterson is a decent fighter. Um, I think you can make the same critique of the entire welterweight stable. Like, it has to be disappointing that Danny Garcia versus Sean Porter was the only elite welterweight fight we saw this year. And Showtime has a monopoly on that division, except for Crawford, basically. And, you know, a couple, there might be one or two others at, at, uh, at top rank, but my grade for Showtime's value uh, to the consumer, I mean, I, I think it's somewhere in that A minus B plus range. I'll give it an A minus, I guess. I mean, I feel like if you're a curmudgeon, maybe you give it a B plus because you are paying a lot for Showtime. Like they overall had a really strong year. Um, but it's, it's the type of content that's curated over volume. Like you didn't get a whole lot of volume. I'm going to go with a minus. I think a B plus is acceptable, you know, but you, even if you didn't get the pay-per-view or you went to a movie theater to see it, like you still paid 180 bucks for it. Uh, it's a lot. All right. ESPN. ESPN is tough to give a real price on, uh, because I think most people are going to get a basic cable package or basic streaming package that includes ESPN no matter what. So on one hand, you can say that it's just a sunk cost for most people and the fights are free. Uh, but you could also say that if you only want ESPN to watch fights, you're probably paying a minimum of like 40 bucks a month to get a basic cable or streaming package just to get ESPN. I don't think either of those positions are totally fair. Um, what I'm going to say is you probably paid about $6 a month for ESPN because that's probably what your cable provider pays Disney for ESPN. So let's go with that. Let's say you paid $72 for the year, and here's what you got. You got Zerto versus Ahmed with Ancajas versus Israel Gonzalez on the undercard. You got Beltran versus Moses with Mean Machine Cavaluskas versus Avanesian on the undercard. You got Valdez Quig. You got Jose Ramirez Amiraman with Vazdik uh, on the undercard. So a couple other fighters, too, on that one. You got Magdaleno versus Dogbay with Hart Nicholson and Jennings uh, Dueco on the undercard. You got Lomachenko Linares. You got Zerdo Angulo with Saucedo versus Lenny Z on the undercard, which is a really good fight. You got the Cavaluskas versus Abreu. You got Regis Brogre versus uh, Velasco with Teofimo Lopez Silva you know, versus Silva on the undercard. You got Jennings Dimitrenko, Beltran Pedraza, uh, Dogbe Otake was on that undercard, Jose Ramirez versus Orozco, Crawford versus Benavides Jr., and that was Shakur Stevenson's first step up on the undercard, Hooker Saucedo, Lomachenko Pedraza with the two undercards, Dogbe Navarrete and Lopez Menard. 15 total cards on ESPN. And I think in terms of of overall quality control, not as good as Showtime, but pretty solid. And it goes back to how you feel about what you're paying for, because there's sure to be some variance in that. I mean, a lot of these main events are fights that are absolutely premium fights, like the cards top to bottom uh, in terms of depth and the undercards, they're definitely not as strong as what Showtime has done, but they're not that far off. Um, and again, I'll talk about Woods and I were talking about this on his podcast. Many of them either ended up being well-matched or TV friendly if they didn't involve named fighters. Um, so it, it ended up being fairly quality TV and, and it's a lot less than Showtime. 
And if I'm going to ding ESPN, though, it's we probably got too much of fighters like Zerto, which I went over in the beginning, doesn't make exciting television fights. There also wasn't that one fight of the year candidate that was like a high-level title fight that, you know, was just an awesome fight of the year. I mean, Valdez Quig, Lomachenko Linares, and Magdaleno Dogbay were all really good fights. I think they're like borderline into discussion for fight of the year, but they're borderline. Like they're not really in the finalists for it. For, for me, um, going back to the positive side, I think we also saw a good mix of prospects in step-up fights. Like I didn't mind seeing Shakur Stevenson in that Simeon fight, which was his first legit guy. Uh, but I think that's an important distinction. Like last year and earlier on in 2017, and, and to be fair, in, in some of the earlier parts of 2018, we probably saw a little bit too much of Stevenson and Conlon in like these eight round fights that are learning processes for them and kind of like, you know, eight or 10 rounds to nothing in terms of scorecards. I think those fights belong on ESPN Plus. But you give me Teofimo Lopez versus Mason Menard, I'm in. I'm in. All right. Let's go through ESPN Plus real quick. Uh, we'll go over that, and then I'll do grades for for sort of a combined, you know, ESPN total grade. ESPN Plus costs you five bucks a month, or fifty dollars for the year, depending on when you started your subscription. You probably paid thirty bucks for the following fights, and these aren't all of them, but it's sort of a good representation of what you got. Ancajas versus Sultan. Crawford versus Terrence Crawford versus uh, Jeff Horn, and that had Pedraza Moran on the undercard. Uh, Christopher Diaz versus Ito, Ancajas versus Santiago, Uzgateki, Moderna, Murata versus Rob Brandt, uh, Burchelt, uh Roman, Zerto Hart 2. Those were the US based fights, the international fights. Khan versus uh, DeGreco, Tevin Farmer, Billy Dibb, Inouye McDonald. Murray versus Martin Murray versus uh, Roberto Garcia. Burchelt had that weird uh, Jonathan Victor Barros fight. Pacquiao versus Matisse. That was a great one. It had a great undercard too. Um, Iwasa versus Doheny. There was a couple. I think there was like a Luis Neri fight. There was an Anthony Yard fight. There was that Catterall Davies fight from the UK. Pula Fury, Horn Mundine. Those are you know whatever. Uh, Warrington Frampton, the one we went over, and then there's the fights from Japan this upcoming weekend. In total, 26 cards on ESPN+. And to be fair, at least 10 of those were like lower-level foreign cards with fighters, maybe with a fighter who was good enough to be fighting on a premium U.S. card, but not in a great matchup. Uh, with, it needs to be mentioned with ESPN+. You got all the undercards on the regular ESPN cards, I'm not going to really count those here. Um, to their credit, we got two fights that would have been pay-per-views. If Top Rank was still with HBO, they would have been lower-level pay-per-views that clearly would have sold under 250,000 buys. Um, but they would have been pay-per-views nonetheless. Pacquiao Matisse and Crawford Horn. Um, it was great to get I mean, you basically paid 30 bucks for both those cards. We got some really quality fights like Brichelt Roman, Murata Brandt, uh, some quality international fights like the Inouye McDonald, which I know that was a KO1, but it, you know, it was actually expected to be a tough fight for Inouye because he was moving up a weight class. Warrington Frampton was a significant international fight. Um, I think the operative word here, though, is fight. Like, rare did we get that international card 
or that domestic ESPN Plus card where there were multiple good fights at a high level. Like sort of Pacquiao Matisse was that. I think the Warrington Frampton card was that. Uh, but most of these, we got like one good fight, you know, that you would have seen that was ESPN or, or, or Showtime quality, but that's what you got. Um, if you had ESPN and ESPN Plus for, for the full year, you probably paid about 100 bucks, And you got both volume and quality. It's, it's a different product than Showtime. But I think given that Showtime was 180 bucks, you need to take that value into consideration. I mean, this comes in at a B plus for me. I think you can give it a B if you want to be that same curmudgeon who gives Showtime a B plus. To me, they're both really strong products. They're not elite products. Like HBO certainly had better years over the past 30 years than, than what you got from both of these. I'm not saying that. That's why they're not getting an A. But they're pretty strong products. I mean, they're just different. Like, ESPN gives you a lot more boxing and a lot of international flavor when you factor in the ESPN Plus stuff. There's some big events, but not nearly as many as Showtime gave you. You also have to factor in how valuable your time is and how much time you have to watch boxing. I value my time greatly, and Showtime probably gives you the most respect for your time in terms of that curation element, but that comes at the cost of less boxing than I want. And I mean, it comes at a cost... Look, even if you didn't buy the pay-per-view, 180 bucks versus 100 bucks is like a real price difference. It's almost twice as much. Uh, and if you did buy the pay-per-view, even if you saw it in a movie theater, you were over 200 bucks for Showtime. Is it really worth double the price? Um, I mean, to me, I'm getting both, and I think both are good are good products. Um, so, so moving on to the zone. DAZN cost you 30 bucks if you started subscribing at the end of September. Uh, I'm not going to mention the free month because I think you get that for almost everything you sign up for, basically. Um, It's 10 bucks a month. Here's what you got for your money. Joshua Pavetkin with Campbell Mendy on the undercard. Vargas Delorme with Roman McDonald, Biev, and Johnson. And then the Miller-Adamic, that was their first fight. You got Andre versus Karan Dokwa. You got Usyk Bellu, you got Miller Dinu, you got Lebedev Wilson, you got Brooks Zarafa, Canelo Fielding, and then that entire. And I'm not going to mention the the UK based cards. Yes, there were a couple Eddie Hearn UK non pay per view cards uh, th- that were mostly domestic fighters. Like we didn't really get a bigger one onto the zone. Um, you got the entire World Boxing Super Series, which I think is extremely significant. I'll just list the fights here. Inouye versus Payano, Relic versus Troyanovsky, uh, Fafer Tabidi, Tete Aloyan, Rodriguez Maloney, Dortikos Masterneck, Baranchek Yajit, Progre Flanagan, Burnett Donaire, uh, or Donaire, sorry, Josh Taylor, Ryan Martin, Bradis versus McCallion, and Glowacki versus Vlasov. You got the 168-pound finals from the previous year, which was Smith-Groves. The zones offering has got to be looked at on a few different levels. First is Canelo and the Golden Boy product, which at the very least does what the zone has, has said it's going to do. Canelo is the biggest established pay-per-view star. If he fights twice a year and you've been conditioned to probably pay about 150 bucks a year for that, now you're paying 120 That's a great deal. You're paying 10 bucks a month, you get two Canelo fights, great. 
But his first fight wasn't great, and Golden Boy doesn't have the roster depth to put on consistently great cards. So I'm happy not to pay the pay-per-view price for Canelo's first fight, but I'm not sure I would have bought the pay-per-view anyways because it was such a bad matchup. That might have been a movie theater type deal for me um, instead of actually paying for the pay-per-view at home. Then there's the Anthony Joshua and Hearn piece of the equation. Like We can probably go ahead and say that Hearn's U.S. cards are at best mediocre and at worst not even worth your time, much less your subscription money. Um, but the the Joshua Pavekin and Usyk Balu, those UK-based sort of elite pay-per-view cards, they were both great. Like, they were great fights. The final sort of category is that World Boxing Super Series, which I know they've been having financial difficulties, but I really hope they keep it together. I mean, there's a huge volume of cards for zone. Really solid first round matchups, some really good ones in my opinion, and then the semis and the finals are all like great fights that I'm really excited for. It's just sort of tough to give like a three month grade because it's incomplete. I mean, making it tougher is that they do several things really well and then several things really badly. Like if I was just grading them on the three month span where I got the WBSS quarterfinals. Joshua Pavekin, Usyk Balu, and Canelo not on pay-per-view. I mean, you're looking at it like a B-plus or an A-minus for that. But then you got to dock them some points on the Canelo matchup, not the value. But what do you do with all the other stuff? Like, what we haven't seen is if Golden Boy, Hearn, and hopefully Triple G, you know, whatever happens with Triple G and Loeffler, if, if Triple G signs there, if they can all work together to put on a pretty deep card with some quality fights... That's a big improvement here because when you add in the stuff I've talked about with like the Eddie Hearn U.S. cards, like the greatest got to drop. Like those cards were not Showtime or ESPN level quality. HBO, quite frankly, which I'll get to and and is not going to get a great grade this year. Like they put on better cards than that. And that comes down to respect for my time. Like there's clearly an opportunity to put on solid U.S. based cards and I don't want to see any more of these fight cards that, like the ones that happen on October 20th or November 17th. I'm going to give them a B minus for that, you know, for this three month run here as a total grade, really because of that stuff. And trust me, it's totally legit to sit here and say they deserve better than that just for the positive stuff they did. But really, this is an incomplete where they strongly excelled at certain things and then they need a huge amount of work elsewhere. Okay. HBO costs you 15 bucks a month, 180 for the year, and then if you bought the Canelo Triple G2 pay-per-view fight, that was an extra 85 bucks, $265 for the whole year if you got their offering. Here are the fights you got for that price. Matisse versus Kiram and Linares Gesta on the undercard. Sorumbisai Estrada, which was Superfly 2. It had Arroyo Cuadras and Nietes Rebeco on the undercard. Kovlev Mikhalkian with Bivol Barrera on the undercard, White Brown, Jacob Suletsky, and that had Miller Duhapas on the undercard, Triple G Martirosian, Ali Mungia, Mungia versus Smith, uh, that had Machado Mensa on the undercard, Kovalev versus Alvarez, Bivol Chalemba was on the undercard there, Estrada versus Orakuta with the other Superfly undercards, Canelo Triple G2 was the pay-per-view, and then 
Jacob Sterevichenko, uh, which did have some interesting fights. You know, Machado Evans, I know it was a KO1, but that was an interesting fight going into it. Um, and then Bivol Pascal, and finally Brekus versus Magsdiak Lopes. 12 total cards based in the U.S. One foreign fight, that white-brown U.K. card, and then one pay-per-view. And I think, like, the first thing that sticks out, to just compare what you got from HBO versus Showtime, and let's leave out the pay-per-views here uh, for this comparison, because you you basically paid the same price for both offerings. Like, it's impossible to be happy with what you got from HBO. It's, a, it's really easy to see why they're leaving the business. Like, the crazy thing... Here, even by say, even with saying that though, and I think it justifies one of my nicks on Showtime's grade is that HBO actually put on more fight cards that were North American based and weren't one-offs, you know, like that had a full undercard and everything than Showtime did. Uh, but the quality control here was completely lacking. Like with the exception of the two cards that main events, that you know, the promoter main events put on, which had Bevel on the undercards and Kovalev in the main. Uh, and then that one Superfly card from February, I mean, the undercards were generally terrible. Like, I mean, there was one or two interesting ones, but, I mean, it's just generally really bad. Except for the Jacobs Derevchenko fight card, like, even the main events, even the ones that were quality fights, like, they came at weight classes that aren't considered premium. I mean, much of it was just inventory that came off the sales rack, or that you got in an outlet store, like not flagship stuff. Like even with the ones like Triple G that was great, like that was a bad mismatch. And it came from like this crazy set of circumstances where we thought we had Triple G on pay-per-view and he ended up being on regular HBO. Like that wasn't planned. Superfly 2, I mean, that's a strong card, but it was at a weight class that lacks exposure. So it was much cheaper to put on. And then even that like sort of, you know, weird but fun, Jaime Munguia run that we saw, like that was kind of cool, but it, that was all cost controlled. Uh, you know, they got him with with a couple options, and and they you know immediately took advantage of it. And like I, I mentioned a little you know, episode or two ago, like he, I can't even remember the last time that one fighter was the headliner in back to back events on HBO. Like that's they took a, a huge hiatus. Um, there were really only three or four cards that felt like premium nights of boxing. Like, we're definitely at the point where ESPN and Fox in their first show were putting on, like, stronger boxing cards that are free or in your basic cable package. Like, that's just not good. Um, I will say on the plus side, it's safe to say that the one pay-per-view event they put on was the biggest boxing event of the year, and it did deliver in the ring. It was a really good fight. Besides that, HBO gets a D-plus for me, and I'd say we can bump that up to a C-minus just because of the pay-per-view but, I mean, it's not like that was a huge value to consumers. It cost $85. Um, I will mention Fox here. It's a, just an incomplete. We had one card. It was free. As I mentioned earlier, you know, there are positives and negatives to take from it. Let's see how many pay-per-views Fox puts on next year because they could actually end up being one of the more expensive, uh, even though they're, they're, they're going to have a free offering, their premium content may come at a, at a much more expensive price next year. Let's see. There's one for March. Let's see if they do one a quarter or if they only do one or two for the full year. I think that's going to make a big difference for them next year. Um, okay, so those are the grades. I would love you guys uh, to give me some feedback on that. 
I would love to know what if if you think that those are fair or if it's just like personal preference or, or what you guys have liked. Um, I'm always interested in intelligent discussion, uh, but if you just clearly have an agenda, you know, <laughs> but my wife has basically banned me from Twitter conversations that go on too long where clearly there's no, nothing intelligent coming out of it. So um, on to the preview section. This is the lightest preview section that I'm probably ever going to have to do. Like there's a, the ESPN Plus fights from Japan on December 30th, the Masayuki Ito versus Yevgeny Chuprikov for the WBO Junior Lightweight title. I think Kenshiro fights Salah Juarez. And then the Inoue's brother, he fights, you know, he's got a fight for a WBC interim Bantamweight title. Floyd Mayweather is fighting on that weird Risen card in Japan that if it comes in the United States for below like 10 bucks or 15 bucks, I am 100% watching that. I'm not sure that we can watch that at, at you know, at the time of me recording this. Um, but who knows? Who freaking knows? Uh, anyways, because we've gone on a little long, I'm going to leave it at this. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas or whatever other holiday you celebrate. Have a Happy New Year in a couple days. I'm going to come back in like a week. I'm going to give um, my list of thank yous at that point. Right now, the only people I'm going to thank are you guys. Like, This has been a really fun year for me. And uh, thank you for all those who have listened to this. I'm going to give my shout outs next year. Or, or, or next episode. I'm probably going to come back and do it next weekend. I think there's not a whole lot to, to go over there. Certainly, I don't think there's really any fights that first week in January um, either. So um, talk to you guys in about a week, maybe a week and a half, and uh, looking forward to a great 2019. Enjoy. If you're going to watch that ESPN Plus card, enjoy it, and, and, uh, and bye, guys. Did you get what you was looking for? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.